Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. Hallelujah. How many of you are thankful this morning you belong to Abba? You belong to the Father. Right now, just put your hands on your heart. Father, I thank you that every orphan spirit be rebuked now in Jesus' name and that your children would come into the revelation of who they are as sons and daughters of the Most High, that they belong to you. Father, I thank you today that your word is alive and it is active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. And I thank you this morning that the, the word of the Lord would go swiftly into the hearts of your people. I thank you, Father, right now that it would be released over your people right now and that as we encounter your word today, we would never be the same again. That, Father, you are moving in this room this morning. You're moving over the live stream this morning. And I thank you, Father, that you would move in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you be seated this morning and grab your Bibles and turn to Song of Solomon Chapter 3, Song of Solomon, Chapter 3. Last week, we talked about power for purpose, and we talked about the ever-increasing river of God. How many of you are thankful that you have a river of God living on the inside of you that you can access at any time? There, We used to sing that uh, old song, Spring up a well, spring up a well. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well. And then I don't remember how the rest goes. So we talked about that river of life flowing out of us last week. John 7, 38. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Today I want to talk about what we do with the river of God. And so... We're talking about power for purpose, but the subtitle is Into the Streets. Into the Streets. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. On my bed, night after night, I sought him, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me. And I said, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I left them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him and would not let him go until I'd brought him to my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. This is a a poem of a bride and a bridegroom, and their love for each other. It's an allegory about the bride of Christ, the church, and Jesus, the bridegroom. And it's we can look at it as all about our relationship with the Lord. And of course, the whole book is full of these love expressions and these love experiences, and we've heard it taught so many different ways. But here in chapter 3, the bride is distressed. She was used to having her bridegroom around used to having him in her house where she dwelt, but something in their relationship has changed and he's no longer around like he used to be. He's gone. She looks for him around the home, but night after night is unable to find him. And like any other young lover overcome with passion and love, keeps seeking him out, but he can't 
be found. And finally, in desperation, she leaves the comfort of her home, goes out into the city streets, seeking him, driven by this overpowering love she has for him and was the custom of the day. Watchmen and the guards are patrolling the streets. And they find her wondering about, no doubt, a great surprise to them. Here is this young bride wandering the streets in the middle of the night looking for her bridegroom. And in desperation, she says, have you seen him? Have you seen my bridegroom? Oh, we've seen him around, but we don't know where he is. And without an answer, she leaves them and continues her searching and suddenly comes upon him and grabs hold of him, refusing to let go. Refusing to let go in case she once again loses him. This is such a powerful picture of the church today. I believe it is a prophetic vision of what is happening right now. You see, the lover was used to having him in the place where she dwelt. We love having Jesus here with us in church, don't we? We love the anointing. We love when the presence of God falls so sweetly. We love getting encountered by the Lord and the anointing and the sense of His manifest presence and the encouragement and love we feel in worship, that that song, Abba, I belong to you. And we have these wonderful corporate expressions. But suddenly it changes. It's not the same as it always was. His presence is not the same. It's not there like the same. Something shifts in our lives. Something, the anointing is not quite like it used to be. Oh, He still comes. He still blesses. He still loves us. But somehow it's different. The the revival meetings don't seem as strong. They don't seem to be as intense. The power is not quite as overpowering. And out of distress, the church should be crying out, Where is the lover of my soul? Where has he gone? Where is he moving? Where? What is he doing? Why don't I feel as close as I once was? And I want to tell you, the place where you'll find him is out in the streets. The place where you'll find him is not in the place of your comfort into the public places. Watchmen are found. Watchmen, speaking of the intercessors, watching in the spirit of the church and the activity of God. They've seen him about, but they don't know quite where he is. But the church is out there on a quest to find where he has gone. Where has he moved to? What is he doing? And I'll tell you where you'll find him in the streets ministering to the abundant needs of suffering people. And like the bride, the church seeks to bring him back into the house, the place of safety where it's comfortable and where she can enjoy him just for herself. Jesus, what are you doing out in the streets? Come back to the church. Come back in here where I'm comfortable. Come meet me on Sunday morning when I look my best, when I've had my Starbucks, when when I can raise my hands so so so-and-so across the room sees that I'm a worshiper. Come entertain me in the church house. Come give me goosebumps here. I don't want to go out into the streets and seek you. I don't want to go out into the streets and have to find you. Let me just bring you back to my comfort place. But where did she find him? She found him in the streets. Where will we find him? We'll find him in the streets. And might I suggest to you, that this is a picture of where the church is at today. We have experienced such an outpouring of love and relationship. We've experienced the, the Father's embrace. We've experienced the Father's outpouring. 
We, we still run, the, the current prophetic and charismatic and Pentecostal movements are still running on the Toronto outpouring of 94 and, and the Brownsville revival. They're still trying to ride the waves of a previous revival. But let me say to you today, the wave has passed and we will not find him in an old expression of how he used to be. God is doing something new and where you're going to find him is in the streets. There has been a shift where we will find the Lord's manifest presence more on the streets, in the marketplace, and among the lost rather than in church buildings. Listen, I'm all about church. I love church. I've given my life for church. But unless we get out in the streets, unless we go out and find them, unless we go where they are, we will only experience a measure of God's glory. But God's glory, just like the river from Ezekiel 47, gets deeper the further away we get from structure. When we get out where they really are, where the healing leaves are, where the people are desperate, where they're hungry, but you see, we get uncomfortable because we can't control it. We can control because we know we're going to do two praise songs. Pastor Jacob's going to tell us what's happening. He's going to receive the tithes and offering. We're going to worship, feel some goosebumps. Pastor Jacob will preach a good message. I'll go home and have fried chicken, take a nap, and then I'm good for the week. But that's not where we're supposed to be, church. We cannot be content with where we are. Do I want to see this building full? Yes. Do I believe that we're called to have a full building? Yes, but not with recycled Christianity of people who have grown comfortable because this is the only expression they understand and it's the only expression they want because that's all they're comfortable with. No, it is in the streets where revival happens. It's in the marketplace where the glory is found. The bridegroom is walking the streets of our city and he's saying, come follow me. Come find me. Come get me. It is a prophetic voice to the church. Go into the streets. Go into the marketplace. Go to where the people are and love the community. Go and seek out the lost. Find the brokenhearted. Bring release to those captive in heart and whose souls are under the affliction of the devil. Luke 4.18 The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Yes, there are oppressed in the church. Yes, there are captives in the church. But there are captives in your families. There are captives in your workplace. There are captives in Walmart. There are captives at the bank. And you have been called and you have been sent to proclaim liberty to those who are captive. And for too long, the church has stayed in her marriage bed wanting to experience the thrills and chills of revival while the world has been dying in the streets. I love revival. I love the thrills and chills of revival. I live for revival, but real revival is when dead things come alive. And there are dead people out there who need to come alive to the reality of Christ. That's real revival. The purpose 
of power is to go into the streets, the community, and minister the power of God to those who don't know Christ. It used to be that people sought out the church because that was the center of a community. The church is no longer the center of our community. We have to understand that the culture has shifted. We are in a post-Christianity world. But let me tell you, Christianity, Jesus is still the answer even when the culture rejects it. But the reality is they don't come to our doors. The church house isn't full because they're not seeking the church. It is the responsibility of the church to seek them. But we like our comforts. We want to go get Jesus. Come back to the bedroom. Come back and hide with me. Make me feel good. Jesus is just full of examples of doing this. And the thing to realize, he brought the power and the blessing to who? Unbelievers. Now, how did he do it? If you are like me, when you hear the word evangelism, you sigh. Because for so long, the church taught evangelism as you've got to tell people they're going to hell. That's a, that's a part of it. There is truth in that. But does that mean that I have to force myself into conversation and ram my belief system down the throat of the poor, unsuspecting heathen? No! Jesus never did it that way. His way was simple, but very effective. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 4. We're going to look at a story that I've used many times, but it is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. John chapter 4, verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired from his journey, was just sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So the, so the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jump down to verse 16. Jesus begins then to share with her concerning the water of life. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one, who, the one whom you now have is not your husband. This which you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Jump down to verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he'd been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what are you seeking? Or why are you speaking with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is he? They left the city and were coming to him. Jump down to verse 39. Now from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. 
and know that this is the one truly is the savior of the world. What is the first thing Jesus did? He crossed a barrier of prejudice. And the reality is many of us have prejudices that we have not dealt with. And God wants us to deal with our prejudices. It could be racial issues. It could be socioeconomical issues. I don't associate with poor people. I could never minister to poor people. I can't be around those kinds of people. Some of us, the minute we come into contact with someone, we automatically, all of our judgments come up. Oh, this person just wants a handout. Oh, I can't talk to this person. But here's the thing. To touch the people with the love of God, we all have to cross the barrier of comfortable church life where we feel safe and secure and reach across to the hurting people. We have to get uncomfortable. That's the hardest part. But once it's done, it's easy to connect. I, uh, in 2009... This is one of my favorite stories of just God causing me to be uncomfortable. Because how many of you know we don't like to be uncomfortable, right? We, we like our comfort. Easter morning, 2009, I was in San Francisco. We were headed to a, a church service. I was with some friends. And as we parked, we had to park kind of, if you've been to San Francisco, parking is, is crazy, especially in downtown San Francisco. It's, it's hard to find. It's all at an angle. You know, there's issues with parking. So we had to park like six blocks away from the church just to find a parking spot. And so we're walking and and there was a shortcut through an alley and there was a man sitting on the floor in a pool of his own urine. Dirty, drugged out of his mind. And I'm like, I'm not going to make eye contact. Just being very real. I'm not even going to look because he's going to ask for something. Now, y'all know you've thought that before. And the Lord says to me, sit with him. God, there's a pool of urine. I can smell it from here. I'm not sitting with him. Sit with him. Okay. So I go, and I'm thinking, how can I avoid the pool? I couldn't. There was no... There was no way. I don't know how long he'd been sitting there, but he was sitting there. And I sat down with him. And I'm just going to be very transparent. I could feel the urine seeping through my pants. I'm disgusted. And he looks at me and he gives me this look. Like, what are you doing? But he's drugged out of his mind. And I said, hey, I'm Jacob. What's your name? Can't talk. Not coherent. I just put my hand on his knee. He reached over, put his hand on my hand. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to sober up. Immediately, he sobered up. He goes, who are you? I said, my name is Jacob. What's your name? He said, my name is Michael. I said, Michael, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I'm too ashamed to tell you. I said, no, God sent me here to meet with you today. He says, you're sitting in my urine. That's not what he called it. And I said, I, I know, it's okay. He goes, no, 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 go, go. I said, no, 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 no. God loves you, Michael. No, he couldn't. God couldn't love me. No, God loves you. He said, no, God gave up on me a long time ago. I said, Michael, God has never given up on you. He is chasing you down. That's why I'm here today. So what's your story? 
And he said, I was one of the best lawyers in this town. He said, I have a wife, I have a couple kids. He said, and I had a client who couldn't pay me. And the client said, hey, I'll give you these drugs. You can sell them. You'll make far more than you would have charged me. He said, I, I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. I took the drugs. I thought, I have another client I can sell them to. He said, but then I thought, maybe I should try this. Snorted it one time and was hooked. And he kept it secret. He kept functioning as a lawyer, kept holding on to it. But the addiction grew and grew and grew to the point he couldn't hide it anymore. He said, I don't even remember when I left my home. I don't remember saying goodbye to my wife. He said, I don't remember how I got here. I said, how long have you been away? He goes, I don't know. He goes, what day is it? I said, it's Easter. He goes, what year? 2009. He goes, oh my God. He goes, I've been gone two years. He said, I I remember now I left on Good Friday, 2007. He said, I went to find some more drugs, and that's all I remember. I said, you've been gone for two years? He said, yeah. I'm so ashamed. I said, Michael, God loves you. And I shared the gospel with him. He prays with me, gives his life to Jesus as we're sitting in his ear. And he says, do you have a phone? I said, yeah. He goes, I want to call my wife. Hand in my phone. She answers. I said, hello? I said, sweetie, it's, it's Michael. He goes, why the blank are you calling? He said, sweetie, I, I know this is tough. He said, but... God sent an angel to me today, and I'd really like to come home. She says, there's no way you can come home. Do you know the pain you've caught? He said, sweetie, it's Easter, and Jesus does miracles on Easter. Would you just mind coming to pick me up? I'd just really like to see the kids. After some conversation, she agrees. I'm still sitting with him. About 20 minutes later, Mercedes-Benz pulls into this alleyway. This beautiful woman, dressed to the nines, gets out and she goes, say hi to the kids and we're leaving. The kids jump out of the car, run over, embrace their daddy. He says, kids, I'm so sorry. Daddy, we forgive you. The wife is looking alongside. What? She says, do you know what you've done? He said, yeah, I'm so sorry. I know what I've done, but Jesus forgave me this morning. He said, I want you to know him, sweetie. I know what you've been through, but this angel, I said, I'm not an angel. I said, to be honest, I didn't want to sit with you. He said, I know who would have. I said, Jesus. He shares the gospel that I just shared with his wife. She starts crying. He takes his family They pray, give their lives to Jesus. He gets in the car with his family and drives off. He calls me. I gave him my information. Called me a month later. He had sobered up, didn't have another craving. Not one more craving. Got cleaned up. Got his job back. 
They got plugged in to the church that I was going to go to that morning. He ended up leaving his career to go into full-time ministry, and they now have a rehab home in San Francisco. But I had to get uncomfortable. I had to cross my barrier of prejudice. See, I I really struggled being around drug users because of my dad's drug abuse, because of my dad's addiction. I struggled. But here's the deal. As we see a need, this is the second thing that Jesus did. As we see a need in a person's life, we are to touch the need and speak of the need. Michael had a need that morning. He needed a savior to rescue him out of his addiction, to restore his family. And it meant I had to get uncomfortable. And here's the deal. You will only have the level of glory that you're willing to sacrifice for to have. There is power for purpose. One prayer in the name of Jesus, I command you to sober up. One prayer changed his life because I chose to sit in the place of need. When you choose to sit in the place of need, God will meet you there. God will meet people in their place of need. Jesus then brings revelation into her life and situation. In this case, it was word of knowledge. Go call your husband and come here. And of course, this masterly stroke of the Holy Ghost revelation brought her to confess, I have no husband. And then Jesus puts the knife in. That's right. You have no husband. You've had five husbands and the man you are living with now is not your husband. He touched the need in her heart. There was a void on the inside of her that recognized her own sin. And then he spoke of the need. You have a need for living water. You have a need because you've been through these situations. You have a need and I'm here to meet it. And he does the third thing. We can bring God's word to the unbeliever as much as to the believer. We have taught for years unrighteously that prophecy and prophetic revelation is for the church. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says when an unbeliever comes into your midst and hears the prophetic word, the the secrets of their heart will be laid bare. The greatest tool of the church is hearing the voice of God and speaking what he has to say. The church has had too many prophetic words. The church has had too much prophetic revelation. We've heaped up for ourselves. I need a word. Give me a word. I need another prophecy. You've had enough. Go give someone else a prophetic word. Go reach the unbeliever who needs to know that there's a God who knows them by name, knows their destiny, knows their purpose, and wants to rescue them out of their situation. Go meet a need. Get into the streets. The Bible says we can all prophesy, but the mistake is to think that it's just about what we do in church. What about the community so desperate for encouragement, so desperate to hear that they are loved by God and that He sees their every need? One of the times we were, actually it was that same trip. No, it was a different trip. Sorry, it was a different trip. A few years later, I was back in San Francisco and I was down at Haight-Asbury. I probably said it wrong. And then we went into to the big park. I can't think of the name of the park there, but it's a big park and there are homeless encampments everywhere. This is tough place. 
There are needles everywhere. It is the rough of the rough. And so we're in this group, and there's these tough guys. And so I said to one of the guys, I said, hey, we're just in the park, and we're learning how to hear God's voice. And I just wanted to know if I could practice with you. What? What are you talking about? And I said, no, here, here's the deal. Even if one of you, because these guys are just like, yeah, right, whatever. I said, even if one of you would just let us try, it would be so helpful. And finally, one of the young men said, I love psychics. I said, listen, I'm not a psychic. I explained that I needed to pray, that I needed to ask God for a word and wait for his answer. And so he said, okay, I guess so. And so I said, I see a vision of a basement bedroom. I think you live in a basement bedroom. And a little while ago, you had something stolen from you. Now, I knew it was a bag of marijuana, but I chose not to say that. But I could see that in his little basement suite where he'd been living, he had a big bag of marijuana stolen from him. And then I see that you found out it was your friend who stole it, and that hurt you a lot because you'd really tried to help this friend. And he goes, you're freaking me out. I said, why? Did I say something wrong? He said, no, that really happened. What else is God telling you? So I continued speaking on into his life, and as we would do here in prophecy, and at the end, I said, so on a scale of 1 to 10, how do we do? He goes, it's a 10, it's a 10. And then everyone else in the group started saying, what is God saying about me? What is God saying about me? And I, our group just continued. I didn't do all the prophetic words. Other people were ministering. And there was this one guy, his name was Kevin, and he was belligerent. Oh, this is stupid, blah, blah. You could make this up. I mean, just going on. And so the next day, one of the other teams had gone out into the park, and Kevin came running up to them. I had a dream last night, and God visited me, and I know that it's real. Will you ask God what he has to say about me? The whole group got saved. Because here's the deal. A lot of people have taught that you can just give a prophetic word but not present the gospel. You have to do both. Otherwise, we leave people with just an encouraging word and they're still dead in their sin. Now, you don't have to say, now that God's spoken to you, you need to understand you're going to hell and you need to repent. <laughs> That's not how we need to present the gospel. Now, do we need to make it clear that without Christ, hell is the end? Yes, we need to present the full gospel. There's been for too long good news without the bad news. The bad news is without Christ, you can't have good news. So we have to present the whole gospel. But the reality is, is that we need to minister to their need first. When we minister to the need or we minister the prophetic word or the word of encouragement, it presents the opportunity to actually present the gospel. Okay, now that you know that I hear from God. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about what he did for me. And that's the best way to present the gospel. Tell people what he did for you, what he rescued you from, why you needed a savior. See, I'm believing that we are stepping into a season where we would break into healing and miracles. But let me tell you, I think, I, I really feel 
that we're not going to see the level of miracles in here until we start seeing them out there. I feel that that is what's going to usher in a great move of God into our church, is that we have to get out into the streets. We've got to start meeting needs of people outside the four walls. Start praying. Start being bold. Some of us are so afraid to offend people. You're offending the cross when you don't share what he did for you. We need to be real about you are offending the cross of Christ when you don't share how he rescued you out of your sin and you don't share the power that he's given you. So the story of this woman at the well finishes with a remarkable, remarkable event as I close this morning. John 4, 29 through 30 says this, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is he? They left the city and were coming to him. You see, they were coming to him because of one life who had the word of the Lord delivered to her. Others were now desperate to participate and receive. What was the result? Verse 29, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. And then John 4:41, many more believed because of his word. When you testify of what God has done, they're desperate to hear him for himself, for themselves. So they first believed because someone told them the story. Then they believed because they heard for themselves. It is our responsibility to bring people into a dynamic encounter with Jesus. We have within us a river of living water. It was never meant for ourselves. There are people daily that we are in contact with who if they could just get a touch from God, would transform their lives. Here's the reality. You are the one person who has the capacity to access that touch for them. So here's your homework this week. Who is one person in your life in your circle of influence that you need to reach out to this week. You need to ask them. It can be simple as this. Hey, how can I pray for you this week? You want to pray for me? Why? Because I believe that God wants to do something for you. What is your greatest need? How, what can I pray for, for God to do in your life? Oh, well, I don't know. I guess pray for my family. Fantastic. I'm going to pray this week that God touches your family. I'm going to pray that everything that's going, really, you do that? Because then it begins to soften their heart. You'd actually take time to pray for my family that you don't even know? Absolutely, because I know what God's done in my family. Let me tell you a story. That is the power of the gospel when we go into the streets. It doesn't look like a brigade of people with pamphlets knocking on doors looks like people empowered by the Holy Spirit ministering to their circle of influence. Amen? Why don't you stand this morning? Oh, I love Jesus. Gosh, I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. This morning, here in the rumor you're watching by live stream. You've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never come into an encounter with him.
I want to give you that opportunity this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And in doing so, you're signifying one of two things. You're saying, one, I've never chosen to follow Jesus, but I want to this morning. Or two, you're saying, at one time in my life, I was close to him, but man, it's been a long time since I followed him. And I want to renew that commitment. We're all in need of a Savior. Without Him, we are wretched sinners. But with Him, we're new creations. So if that's you this morning, you're saying, I've never made a decision or it's been a long time since I've followed Him. I want you to slip up your hand. Make that decision this morning. You might be watching by live stream. Hallelujah. This morning, because we have people watching by live stream, there may be people in this room not ready to slip up that hand. But I want us to pray together this morning. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin and I receive your mercy. Thank you for the price you paid for me. I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. And the second thing I want to do this morning, two areas. Now, if you need healing, deliverance, you know, breakthrough, a job, all that stuff, I'll pray for that. But specifically, I want to pray for two, two categories of people this morning. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of power and speaking in tongues, I want to pray for you this morning for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that you would be empowered to be His witness. The second group of people is those who are saying, I am so afraid to reach out to people. It paralyzes me to think about sharing the gospel with someone, sharing to pray for someone. That, that makes me so afraid. If that's you. I want to pray for you as well this morning. So I'm going to open up these altars. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or you need to overcome the fear of sharing your testimony, the gospel, etc., I want to pray for you. But before we end the live stream this morning, I'm going to pray for those watching. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you this morning that the spirit of fear would be broken off of believers. I thank you, Father, this morning that you would cause boldness to arise. And those who have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in power, I pray right now that even as they watch from their living room or from their phone or computer, that the Holy Spirit would fall and touch and baptize them now in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray right now for those who have fear of sharing the gospel. I pray right now for deliverance from the fear of man, from the fear of sharing their testimony. Now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Or visit www.equippingchurch.us.